Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of March 10th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. We come to an important question this morning that Mark has been leading us to as he has <clears throat> written out this gospel. As we've looked over the last eight chapters, he's leading us in many ways to this point. This is a turning point in Mark's gospel when he asks the question of his disciples, who do you say that I am? You know, even today, some 2,000 years after Christ, people are still asking that question, who is Jesus? People have any number of answers to that question. George Barnett and his group did a survey uh, of the American population just a couple of years ago, in 2015, they found these answers that 92% of, of Americans still believe and do, in fact, believe that Jesus was an actual historical figure. He isn't a fiction that he's a real guy, that he lived on earth. That's cool. 92% believe that. 56% of Americans say they believe that Jesus is, a, is the Son of God. Fantastic. Wish it was higher, but okay. 46%, less than half, believe Jesus committed no sin or that he was sinless. Now, there is some confusion, though. I mentioned that 56% believe Jesus was the Son of God. 57% also said he's the first and greatest being created by God. So the exact same percentage say he is the Son of God who say he was created by God. In other words, people are going, we don't know. That's, that's a confusing statement. Those are two statements that don't make sense. Again, there are all manner of opinions about who Jesus is today. If you were to ask a Mormon who Jesus is, he would tell you that he is literally the physical Son of God, that God himself was once a man like you and me, that he became so good that he became God, that he decided to inhabit a, a, the populated planet, and that Jesus and Satan are his biological sons, and they are biological brothers. That's what Mormons teach. Muslims would say that Jesus was just another prophet, the grace of prophets, before the prophet Muhammad. Some in our world would say that Jesus was a great moral teacher like Buddha. Others would say that he was a political revolutionary, killed for plotting a, a revolt. Some would say he was just a, a simple pretender who was in over his head and got himself killed for challenging leadership. In the last 100 years of human history, Jesus has been claimed for causes from one end of this world to the other. He's been claimed as the face of, of all kinds of atrocities and slaughters and white supremacy and slavery. He's been claimed on the other end by socialists as a revolutionary and a political activist. He has been claimed by some as promising all people prosperity and wealth and by others as a pacifist. Some have said he was a con artist, some said he was a faith healer, some say he was simply a magician. And even in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, they were divided. You would remember that earlier in the Gospel of Mark, the Pharisees, they thought he was in league with Satan. They called him demonic. Even Jesus' own family thought he was a little off kilter and tried to get him out of the public eye at one point. Even then, they weren't sure who he was. And the disciples, who had spent, by this point, we get to Mark chapter 8, who spent nearly two years with him, even they really still weren't quite sure 
what to make of Jesus. You may remember that even last week we saw Jesus ask them, don't you yet see, don't you yet understand? Even they who were closest to him still weren't quite getting it. So Jesus takes his disciples. And remember, he just healed a a blind man. And we saw that last week. It's, It's a symbol of what's to come. So Jesus takes his disciples to an area called Caesarea Philippi. It's, a, it's an area to the north, northwest of the Sea of Galilee. It's an area that's, it's a gent, again, it's a Gentile area. You're not going to see a lot of Jews up there. It's a Gentile pagan area. It's an area that's known for the worship of the Greek god Pan. You know the little goat thing that played a flute? That's the worship of Pan was known to be in this area. Jesus takes them up there in a little bit of a retreat. And he asks them a couple of questions. Let's begin reading Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? They told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You're the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. Heavenly Fathers, we come to this passage this morning. There is perhaps the most important question we will ever answer. Asked of us, Who is Jesus? Lord, as we come to this passage, I pray that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to what the truth is of who Christ is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the setting is this retreat, Caesarea Philippi. And after two years of healings, after two years of miracles, after two years of teaching, two years of wandering around the area around Galilee and even parts north and and west or east of Galilee, been all over the northern half of that part of the country. There is still confusion as to who Jesus is. And so he pulls the disciples apart, and we understand that in the story, the big part of the story of Mark, the one thing that's getting ready to happen is that Jesus is getting ready to make his trek down to Jerusalem. He's on his way in the coming months to the final act of his life. And so before he gets down there, before he takes his disciples to Jerusalem, before they encounter all the opposition that's going to take place, before they encounter uh, what will result in Jesus' crucifixion, he's going to make sure his disciples have a good handle on things. So he takes them out and he asks them this question. As you've heard people talk, he says, who do they say that I am? Now, it's it's interesting here, they didn't say, he didn't ask, what do people think of what he's doing? He didn't ask, well, what do people say about what I'm doing? He asked, who do people say that I am? And the responses to, a, to this question, give us a little hint, by the way, the insight, just kind of what Jesus was like and who he was. The first couple of answers they give him was, well, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah. Or one of the prophets. Now, I want us to think about this for a moment. Obviously, Jesus is not a resurrected John the Baptist. He's not Elijah. But I want you to think in your mind, what is your perception of a John the Baptist or, or of, of Elijah? Now, 
we think about John the Baptist, we probably think about a guy who lived out in the, out in the desert, out in the, out in the wilderness. And you know, John was famous for you know, wearing some pretty tough clothing. He's, he's famous for eating things like locusts and honey. In other words, John is, he's, he's an outdoor guy, right? John the Baptist was a tough guy. John the Baptist was a guy who would stand up to the king and say, you're wrong, you're living in immorality, it's time you stop. He's the, John the Baptist is a guy who would stand up to the Pharisees and call them names and say, you guys have got it all wrong. You should repent right now. John the Baptist was a bold, outdoor, gruff, blunt prophet. Elijah. We go back to the Old Testament. Elijah is like an Old Testament version of John the Baptist. We don't necessarily know what he ate, but we know he spent a lot of time out in the wilderness. We know that Elijah had great boldness. He called out King Ahab. He called out Jezebel. We know perhaps the most famous episode of Elijah's life is when he challenges the prophets of Baal to a showdown on top of Mount Carmel. They each build their altars and they each pray to call down fire and prove whose God is real. And of course, the Baal, he's not there, so nothing happens. And God sends fire and consumes the, the, uh, the uh, altar that Elijah had built. And before the day is over, there's 800 prophets of Baal dead. I mean, that, that's who Elijah is. He is a bold, in-your-face, mighty prophet of God. And so, imagine people are seeing Jesus, and they see Jesus, and they see what he's doing, and how he's doing it, and what he's preaching, and what he's like, and they think he might be John the Baptist or Elijah. You know what that tells us about Jesus' preaching style? <laughs> Jesus wasn't some timid, pale passive guy all right the people of that day who heard him the people of that day who saw him they saw someone like john the baptist or elijah in other words they saw somebody who was in your face they saw somebody who was bold they saw somebody who called things out they saw somebody who was not afraid of anyone jesus was not some timid pasty white guy (laughs) you know we, you know, we know the Hollywood pictures of Christ, right? And most of them are just, you know, he's, he's quiet, he's dressed in white, and he, he's got the long hair and the well-manicured beard, and he, you know, that, that Hollywood Jesus. I'm telling you guys, that's not who Jesus was. Jesus was a first century Middle Eastern Jew who for the first 30 years of his life worked with his hands. He built stuff. He was outside. He worked with his hands. He built things. He was strong physically. And he was not afraid to stand up as God's anointed one and tell it like it was. Jesus was nobody's patsy. All right? And so the world saw Jesus, and they thought he was like John the Baptist. Even remember King Herod at one point got a little nervous about Jesus because he thought Jesus might be John the Baptist resurrected. So these answers tell us a little bit about what Jesus was like. He was fiery. He was confrontational. He called out sin. He challenged leadership. But he did so while being gentle and compassionate to those who were were repentant. That's who Jesus was. But it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone had a good handle what his identity was. 
he, uh, he confused people. Some who thought he was a powerful prophet or powerful teacher were confused by the idea and by the fact that Jesus tended to hang around with the dregs and the outcasts of society. Now, we know the stories. We know that Jesus, that Jesus uh, talked to and, and touched and healed and made friends with people who were pro- ladies who were prostitutes or guys who were tax collectors, the absolute people that everyone else would have nothing to do with. Jesus hung out with in the home and he ate dinner with. He was in the homes of people that the good people of his day wouldn't even make eye contact with. I have a feeling if Jesus was here today in 2019 in the Russellville River Valley area, he would be hanging out with the type of people that most of us might not hang out with. And because of that, the, the religious leaders and the political society and the, the, the people who thought they knew who God was, they looked at Jesus and went, how can he be who he claims to be when he hangs out with those types of people? And so they were confused. In fact, throughout the Gospel of Mark, before Peter's confession here in just a few months we're going to get to, before Peter utters the words, you are the Christ, the only, the only ones in the whole Gospel of Mark who had acknowledged Jesus' identity were demons. When he goes to cast out a demon from some guy, the demon will acknowledge, oh, you're the Holy One of God. You're the Son of God. But up until this point in time, they're the only ones who have said anything. No human has said it yet. So if you're one of the Pharisees, if you're one of the good people that day and age, all you've heard is Jesus makes some pretty outrageous comments You've seen them hang out with people you're not supposed to hang out with, and the only people who've called them anything good have been demons. This is why the Pharisees thought he was demonic. This is why his own family wasn't sure about who he was. It's why even the disciples, having seen all that they had seen, were still not sure what to make of of Jesus. He, uh, he, He didn't fit any stereotypes. That's who this Jesus is. And so as all this is roiling around, Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Now, we can this morning do like we just talked about. We can talk about what others say. We can talk about what those who do not know Christ say. We can talk about what the Mormons or the Muslims say. We can talk about what this world will say. We can talk about what some university professor might say. We can, say, we can talk all those things. We can ask the question, what do people say? But in the end this morning, as we sit here in this room, in the end it matters little what they say. The question is this morning, who do you say that he is? Perhaps the most single important question ever asked. Who do you say that he is. Peter responds, you are the Christ. I want to read for you, there is a parallel passage here in the Gospel of, of Luke. Actually, I want to I read the one in Matthew. This, this account happens in all three of these Gospels. In Matthew chapter 16, and Matthew gives us a few more details. He gives us a few more details about the conversation. Matthew chapter 16 Jesus asks the question, verse 13, he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In verse 14 of Matthew 16, the disciples said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, 
You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So we have a few more details on Matthew 16 than what Mark gives us. But either way, we understand that the disciples did not know who he was even as a few verses ago. Remember earlier in this chapter, Jesus says to them in verse 18, Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? They still hadn't figured out who he was. If you remember back a few chapters ago, what would have been at this point in time, maybe a year back in the past, when Jesus had walked on the water, they had, he had just fed the 5,000. He sent the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. Storm comes up that night. Jesus walks on the water to them, and he makes the comment in the Aramaic language. He says, it's I. In other words, he says, I am. And they're amazed. They don't know what to think. Even before that, they were making a trip across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Storm comes up. They think they're going to die. They wake him up and say, don't you care that we're about to die? And he stands up and tells the storm to be quiet. And it says all the disciples looked at that and heard that and saw that and went, what manner of man is this? They had questions. They had seen incredible things. But as of yet, they had not connected the dots about who he really was. So he says, who do you say that I am? Peter gives a fantastically true answer. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, Man, that's a, great, that's a great answer. And by the way, Peter, you didn't figure that on your own. God revealed that to you. We go back to what we talked about last week when Jesus healed that blind man. Can the blind man heal himself? Can the blind man learn how to see by himself? No, it took the work of God, didn't it? And by the same token, for Peter to come to a correct conclusion about who Jesus was, he couldn't do it on his own. It was going to take the fact that God revealed it to him. So he says to, to Jesus, he says, you are the Christ. Now, what does that mean? The name Christ is, is actually not really a name. It's, it's a title. It's a position. It's not a name. It's a, it's a, it literally means anointed one. The the Hebrew word for Christ is the word Messiah. Christ is simply the Greek version of the word of the Hebrew word Messiah. So we call him Jesus Messiah. Jesus the anointed one. That's that's the name. So his name is Jesus. His title is anointed one. Now what would Peter have understood this to mean that Jesus is the anointed one? If we go back through all of Scripture, and there's, a, there's a lot of different things that are involved with the anointed one and with the Messiah, with the Christ, but they're all related to this one idea, that he is, in fact, king. That when Messiah shows up, when, when the anointed one arrives, he's calling the shots. He's in charge. He's taking care of things from this point forward. There's no other one to look for. John the Baptist, he's pointing to Christ. He's pointing to the anointed one. Jeremiah is pointing to the anointed one. Elijah is pointing to the anointed one. But there's no more prophets to say he's on his way. There's no more prophets or messengers to say this is what he's going to look like. He's here. This is the one. No more messengers. The guy himself has arrived. He's the one that the rest of the prophets were pointing to. 
For two years, Peter and the other disciples have watched and listened. Now, all their lives, whether Peter, James, John, Andrew, all the disciples, all those around him, they had been raised all their life with the idea that one day God would send his anointed one. They had been told all their life that there would be one who would show up, that God would send, who would remove and get rid of all the ungodly from Israel. And he would restore a righteous reign in Jerusalem. They had been told all their lives how this anointed one would crush Satan, remove sinners, and restore righteousness. How the lame would walk and the blind would see upon the arrival of the anointed one. For centuries, people had been talking about this anointing one. How he'd be anointed with the Spirit of God. They'd heard the stories all their lives. And when you hear stories for 20, 30, 40 years, when you hear stories the entire lifetime, you look forward to those and you have this picture in your mind. And when Jesus showed up, he didn't quite fit their picture. And up until now, again, they've not quite been sure what to make of him. And then Peter says, because God touched him and gave him sight, he says to Peter, or Peter says to, to Christ, you, Jesus, you are the Christ. Peter's life at that moment, I think, had to have changed on that answer. Peter could not have continued on in the presence of Jesus after making that statement the same way he did before that statement. Who did Peter think Jesus was before? I don't know. My guess is he thought Jesus was a great prophet, maybe even the greatest prophet. Maybe he had a suspicion that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. But he's not sure. He's seen Jesus walk on the water. He's seen Jesus heal the lame and the blind. He's even seen Jesus resurrect someone from the dead. He has seen Jesus provide bread for everyone out in the wilderness. He's seen Jesus make allusions and comparisons to him from himself to the God of, of Exodus. But I don't think it ever occurred to Peter that God himself showed up in human form. Now, before we're too hard on Peter, <laughs> let's think about what would happen if we were in that, if we were in that situation. Would you and I really be easily swayed to believe that someone who you had seen get tired and go to sleep? That someone who you had seen be hungry and get something to eat? That someone you had seen talk to people? That someone you had seen do all these things that just normal human things happen? Would you and I be very quick to believe that that person who was in front of you doing all those normal human things was in fact the creator of the universe who spoke everything into existence in flesh. It'd be hard for us to come to that conclusion, wouldn't it? And yet that was what Jesus was leading them towards. For two years, Jesus had been doing this. For two years, the disciples had been thinking, maybe, maybe not, we don't know what to do, we don't know what to think here. And finally, there comes a moment when Jesus brings them in and says, you need to understand 
who I am, do you know? And Peter makes this statement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there is no way that you could come to a conclusion and be the same the next moment. The moment you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God and God Himself, that He is God's anointed one, you cannot be the same. You cannot continue to say, well, Jesus is just a good teacher. You can't continue to say, well, Jesus is just a, a, a powerful prophet. You can't continue to say that He is any of these other things we mentioned. You can't on the one hand say that Jesus is the Son of God and on the other hand say that God made Him. You can't say that Jesus is just another line of prophets followed by, gay, followed by a guy named Muhammad. You can't say that Jesus' brother is Satan. You can't say that Jesus is a good teacher. He was very nice and moral. And we, he gave us an example we should follow. If he acknowledges Jesus is the Son of God, the Anointed One of God, God Himself, you can't continue that other stuff. It changes everything. And if we are here this morning, and perhaps most of us in this room, in this room are in the camp with Peter, that we would say that he is in fact the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. If we are there this morning, we cannot make that confession and have our lives look like everyone else's lives out there. The people who acknowledge the identity of Christ cannot be the same as those who do not. So Jesus, or Peter, makes this confession. You're the Messiah. You're not pointing us to God. You're not pointing us to a kingdom. You're not pointing us to something else. You are what everything else is pointing to. All of history has been pointing towards Mark chapter 8. <laughs> you are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. And he's here for a specific reason. Now, we're going to get that next week, by the way. I don't, want to, I don't want to spoil next week. But everything changes upon this profession. The world around Peter had an idea of who he was, of who Jesus was. The world today thinks, many of them do, that they have the identity of Jesus figured out. But the truth is all history has been moving towards this. And all history is moving forward is based upon that. When Jesus is raising the dead, what we're seeing is the future. There will be a day when the faithful are, in fact, resurrected. When Jesus is healing the lame and healing the blind, we are looking forward to a day when all sickness will be healed. When Jesus says that one day he will return, we're looking forward to that. He is no longer just the God of the past. He's also the God of the present. He's also the God of the future. When Jesus calms the storm and walks on the water, he's giving us a picture of the one day when all the universe, including creation itself, is no longer under the curse of sin, but has been made new and is restored. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who do you say that I am? Now, it says there in verse 30, he told them something he's told many others. Don't you tell anybody this. <laughs> now, that might seem to us a little, what, 
what, why, why does he just say this? Why does he make himself known to them only to say, don't tell anybody? Because there is a timing that God's working on. And because people, once they would have recognized Jesus as the Messiah, they would have misunderstood what that meant. And so Jesus has to tell them, listen, what's coming in the coming days is important. And we see this here. Jesus will tell them exactly what's going to take place in the next few days. We, we think the disciples hadn't been told about the cross. They didn't know about the resurrection. Jesus told them very plainly three different times what was about to happen. But more than anything else, not an evaluation of what Jesus did or his miracles, we are asked this morning, who is Jesus himself? Who do you say that I am? And here's the thing this morning. Your life will be different walking forward out of these doors depending upon your answer. Is he this morning for you a good teacher? An important historical figure? Is he someone who is a fiction of people's imagination? Is he someone who is real or is he false? Your answer to that question means everything. See, much of what we're doing as a church today is to present people with the question, who do you say Jesus is? That's ultimately what we're doing. So here's the question this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? Is he the anointed Christ's son of God? If he is, then we cannot walk out these doors the same as we walked in.